Hello, I'm Pommy Harmer and you're listening to the third podcast of Follow the Sun. I'm with Marian Mente, who wrote the book, which presents the sequence of the Zodiac as a story. Now, in this podcast, we're going to hear about Gemini and the planet Mercury. The story is developing into a mystery involving a new character, a shrike and a black pearl. And after we hear the chapter, I'll be asking Marion about the planet Mercury and the shrike and the element of chaos. So welcome, Marion. Hello, Pommy. Nice to see you again. Let's start by you telling us about Gemini's qualities and why you've put them in a forest. Well, Gemini is... um, the realm bearing the symbol of the of the twins it's a domain of mercury and that's a planet associated with mental energy and perception and all forms of communication and transport etc and gemini's energy is yang and its element is air and it begins sort of mid-may to mid-june and it's a third sign it's mutable and it's associated with perceiving and acknowledging that which has been born and established and it's and it's concerned with communicating ideas also uh, physically with the lungs the shoulders the arms and the hands and when expressed positively the spirit of gemini is perceptive intelligent communicative dexterous agile and versatile when it's used negatively it can be capricious it can be mischievous and in extremes duplicitous and i've used to imps to represent the twins of Gemini because there's a lightness and a humor about Gemini's expression and uh, that imps seem to have and the, the imps can also be a little mischievous. So the symbol of Gemini also embodies primary learning, sort of immediate neighbors and environment, local travel rather than sort of far afield. Uh, its expression is versatile as I've said and it's inventive. Woodlands and forests Uh, I think, support a great diversity of life uh, and scenes. And I felt that they were a natural progression from Meadows. Uh, The ram's perceptions of his immediate environment expand rapidly in this realm. And the fire of Aries consumes the air of Gemini. He enjoys their knowledge and they enjoy teaching him. And he finds them entertaining. The twins' versatility and inventiveness fuel his curiosity, and they encourage him to travel on and to learn more. And the woodland environment is varied and diverse enough to keep the twins ever curious. Thanks, Marion. So before we hear the reading, I'm just going to bring us all up to date with what's happened so far. In the first chapter, we find Ares trapped in a crater with no memory of how he came to be there or knowledge of the wider world ahead. Knowing only his name and a burning ambition to go forward, the event of an earthquake enabled him to climb the towering boundary of his prison and view the sun setting on the distant horizon. Determined to follow the sun, his first encounter on this journey of exploration is with Taurus the bull, who does not welcome the intrusion. However, while in Taurus' realm, he learns that the birds are messengers across the realms. Also, that there has been much disruption in their reports of late, and Taurus has asked Ares to investigate as he travels as to why this might be. The realm of Gemini may hold the answers, and much more. Forest Green holds much unseen. Curiosity was foremost as Ares entered the woodlands. 
Spring was turning to summer, and the mid-morning sun glowed bright and warm, making him glad of the dappled shade provided by the trees. Birds chirruped in busy movement overhead, while small creatures scurried through the undergrowth. The forest was teeming with life and activity. He felt light-hearted and buoyant in this environment, which suited his fiery, energetic temperament. Oh, this is more like it, he smiled, congratulating himself on his arrival. He wondered if the Gemini were near, so making his approaches in a friendly fashion, called out, Hello, hello, hoping they would appear to greet him. Taurus has said that they lived at the top of trees, and he thought they may have wings, like birds. Then in answer to his calls, two bright yellow butterflies darted into view. He was fascinated by the patterns on their wings as they flirted with him, brushing his nose and flitting away. Are you the Gemini? he asked. But their only response was to entice him to follow them along a winding path, leading him deeper into the woods. Soon he found himself surrounded by brightly coloured shrubs which flowered on either side of the path, and they had grown in identical pairs. This repeating arrangement soon became confusing, and he began to think that the butterflies were playing a game as they drew him on, flitting through the blooms, teasing him away from the path, and then back again, and then away, when suddenly they disappeared completely, leaving him quite alone. Gone were the flowering shrubs in leafy shade. He now stood among columns of tall trees with high spine branches. Shafts of light pierced the dark green canopy, casting pools of sunshine onto the trails of ivy creeping through the shadows on the forest floor and entwining itself around the tree trunks. Absently, he wandered forward, looking up through the branches, calling out for the Gemini. Tripping over the branch of a fallen pine tree, he landed in a bed of nettles sprouting between its limbs. His yelps echoed through the woods as he rolled on the ground, twisting and turning, trying to quell the itching of the pain of the stings. Ooh, lost his way, lost his way, chasing flutterbys, went astray. <coughs> Peering up through the branches of the surrounding trees, he was cross that his discomfort was cause for amusement. Is that the Gemini? he cried. Ouch! A pine cone thwacked him sharply on the rump. He spun round. Bing! Boing! Two more bounced off his nose and horns. Again shrieks of laughter, but still no one to be seen. His ever-ready temper flared. Afraid to show yourself, he scorned. Come down and fight in the open, do you hear? Come on, I'll show you. He was fuming. So much for friendly approaches. Ooh, fight, fight, fight. Fight yourself, feisty, came more taunting barbs. Furious, he charged the nearest tree, butting it so hard he released a shower of cones on himself. Dazed by the impact, he slumped against the trunk to recover, cursing his elusive antagonist. Oh, hark at you, what a fuming fuss, called a light, cheery voice. We were only teasing, followed similar tones from the opposite direction. Again he peered up through the branches, surprised as two agile imps tumbled in skilful somersaults to the ground. Oh, sorry, sorry, so sorry. We really didn't intend to upset you. And putting their slingshots down, they cartwheeled around him, leapfrogged over his horns and went on to further entertain him with their acrobatics. Very different from Taurus, he grinned, taking in their fine bird-like features, twinkling eyes and nimble frames.
The imps looked very dapper in their tunics of forest green with matching caps, all smartly trimmed in a barley sugar piping of various hues. They mimicked his chase of the butterflies, his fall into the nettles and subsequent yelping and writhing. In spite of his burgeoning headache, he managed to laugh at their comical impressions of himself. "'Hi, I'm Jem,' said one at last. "'And I'm Eenie,' followed the other, slightly breathless. "'But together we're the Gemini,' they sang in unison, bowing to pick up handfuls of dock leaves. "'These will help to stop the itching,' said Jem. "'Just rub them on the stings like this,' demonstrated Eenie, who went on to add how important it was to recognise the different herbs and medicinal plants growing in the forest, and that Aries should learn to do so quickly, especially if he was prone to accidents.' The Gemini were mercurial by nature and compared to leisurely Taurus, their speech and movements were like Quicksilver. They asked about him, saying that the birds had reported his being with their neighbour, relaying tidbits of his conversations with Taurus, but they wanted to hear his account of himself. Was he some kind of messenger? Oh, Ares felt very honoured to be regarded as a messenger. This gave him two quests, following the sun and bringing a message about where he'd been. No, three, because Taurus had asked him to investigate the cause of tuneless birds. Instead of wasting in that dismal crater, he now had three important goals to accomplish. His future was improving by leaps and bounds. I am a survivor of earthquakes, an explorer and investigator, he expounded, puffing out his chest. But as he began telling them about the earthquake, the twins interrupted him for questions about Taurus. Uh, How did the storm affect Taurus? Was there a lot of damage in his realm? And what was his reaction to suddenly meeting Ares? Did he say anything about messages not getting through? I thought you wanted to know about me, he stropped. Oh, self, 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 came their flippant response. Of course we want to know about you. We're extremely interested in you. But Taurus is our immediate neighbour. And since we've had hardly any news lately, we are anxious to hear your first-hand report. This placated Ares' ego a little, and he learned that Taurus was always guarded when talking about himself and his business, saying as little as possible, which, in turn, meant the birds had little or nothing to relay. The Gemini, on the other hand, were more than happy to chatter about their daily goings-on, discussing the news they'd hear in the bird messages and from other creatures, their friends in the forests. Putting their inquiries aside for the moment, they gave a brief account of the typical day in their domain. The twins were lively and amusing. He warmed to them and was agreeably challenged keeping pace with their conversation, since Jem, whose cap was set at a jaunty angle, would begin a sentence, and Eni, whose cap was on quite straight, would finish it. And both would fidget, first sit, then stand, and jump from one subject to another, telling him little bits about lots of things, expecting him to keep up with their narrative, then gently tutting when he lost their drift and seemed confused. Tut, tut. But I don't understand all your words, and you say them so quickly, he said in mild complaint. Oh, we like to talk. We love words. Indeed, we invent many because there's always something new to discover and name in the forests, answered Jem, brushing a leaf off Eenie's cap and knocking it askew. And words are very powerful, followed Eenie, straightening the angle of Jem's cap. There's a word for everything, and you must use the right word for things, or else muddles happen, or worse, disasters. 
He said he agreed, and keen to return to the subject of himself, admitted, I enjoy talking. I want to know lots of words. Then it's a good thing you came by. You will hear volumes here, and we're very good teachers, assured Jem. But be warned, there are words that mean the same thing, but which sound quite different, and some that sound the same, but mean quite different things, like tears and tears. The first tend to rise, the second tend to fall, advised Eenie, twinkling an eye at Jem. Things can end either way. Ares wondered if he was being teased again, but rather than challenge, he decided to employ a little of the forbearance of Taurus and turned his mind to telling his tale, though his headache was getting worse. Why did he always have headaches? However, he held their undivided attention when describing the bleakness of the crater, the fury of the storm and the destruction of the earthquake. They praised his endurance and the bravery of his triumphant climb and applauded the amusing, animated account of his first encounter with Taurus. But when hearing about his quest to follow the sun, they began whispering between themselves in a speech he couldn't understand. What are you saying? He felt suddenly excluded, concerned they would disappear as the butterflies had done. Oh, no need to worry, explained Jem. It's our shortcut way of exchanging thoughts quickly. We were just saying what a splendid idea it is to follow the sun. We were impressed that you want to do it. And we've often wondered where it goes to before it comes back. Do be sure to let us know when you find out, said Eenie. He asked why they hadn't found out for themselves. Oh, we explained earlier we're far too busy in our day-to-day business to consider such an undertaking, they replied smartly. We are constantly travelling around our domain to see that everything is flourishing. No sooner is our work done in one place than something needs attention in the next. And so it goes on, said Jem. A continual round-robin, concluded Eenie. We simply don't have the time. But there's always time for music, they laughed happily, and swiftly producing a whistle and a drum, began to play a lively tune. He came to see that the Gemini were dexterous and inventive, devising all sorts of instruments from twigs and bark and vines, indeed from anything they could find. Their wit was quick and humorous, and as the conversation swung back and forth, they composed the talk into rhyming verse and song. They were surprised to learn that he was happy to travel alone, because they hated the idea of solitude. We're a community here, they informed him. We travel mostly to visit our friends in the course of our daily business. Ares replied that he'd had no friends before the earthquake, that the storm had been good for him because he hasn't been lonely since. I should mention, he stated importantly, that Taurus wants me to investigate why the birds are tuneless. Do you know anything about it? Oh, we most certainly do. We also have a story to tell about that fierce storm, said Jem, suddenly quite serious. Are you sitting comfortably? Then I'll begin. That storm was good for us too. It rid our forest of an imposter, a wicked shrike who'd gained a strange power over the birds. We don't know where it flew in from, but have since learned that the birds believed it was a special messenger, since it claimed to be the keeper of an important secret. The twins exchanged a nod between each other before Jem continued. 
According to the rumours, it had come from a realm of its own where the air is sweet and the berries growing there enhanced the singing of all who ate them, though it had the most dreadful lisp itself and couldn't sing a note in tune. There is no doubt that it was responsible for the birds being tuneless. Jem broke off, clearly disgruntled at thoughts of the loathsome shrike. Oh, that's absolutely true, added Innie, raring to take up the tale. It was a devious liar-bird. It was ages before we realised the dreadful influence it was having and the extent of the damage it had caused. It made mischief with the bird's messages, ruining the tunes, mixing up the words, always spoiling good news with bad, creating fear and suspicion. It made false accusations, dividing the bird communities and inciting them to quarrel, all of which resulted in huge disruptions in communications across the realms. Many absconded or outcast from their flocks. It promised them richly feathered nests if they followed when it returned to its so-called wing realm, but it never told when that might be or gave any clue where this place was. Jem and I doubted its preposterous claims. All lies used to impress and gain control over those silly creatures who believed its false promises. A gross abuse of words. Anyway, despite their misguided loyalties to the Shrike, distrust grew among the ranks of its followers. As you might expect, being under its influence, they soon began lying about each other and lost their true voices, became unable to sing at all. Eni paused for breath, then continued. But worse, none in the forest dared speak against that bully for fear of reprisals, which is why it took us so long to discover the culprit. Some amongst the forest communities were made so afraid and despondent that they perished. It was just awful. It had to be stopped. Eni paused again and glanced at Jem, who now resumed the tale. But with all the secrecy around it, we couldn't catch the villain, so we sent word to the collective. Then, lo and behold, just when its hiding place had been detected, lightning struck the tree and felled it. They both pointed to the fallen pine where Ares had tripped earlier. We found its burned-out nest along with some charred and broken wing feathers. All other remains were consumed by the flames. The storm had put an end to that horrid creature, finished Jem. In its own perish-wing realm now, quipped Ares, glad to get a word in and amusing the twins with his twist on the name. And they agreed he would be a fast learner. Taurus must be told about this liar bird. He will see that I'm a very successful investigator, but I can't turn back to tell him. Oh, don't worry about that. We will personally take the news to Taurus, offered Jem. Yes, it's been too long since we paid him a visit, agreed Eni. We really must make the time. Unseen by the trio, the Shrike had been eavesdropping on their conversations from its hiding place beneath the charred trunk of the pine. It was glad to be thought of as perished for the time being. It could prove useful to its deceitful purposes. When lightning had struck and split the tree that had housed its lair, its nest had toppled in flames, strewing the contents over the forest floor. Amongst the Shrike's ill-gotten treasures was a black pearl. Tossed a little distance from the burning nest and the falling shrike, the pearl had slipped beneath the carpet of ivy and fortuitously rolled into the nest of a mouse. Thankfully, the mouse had been foraging with friends in another part of the forest at that time. 
After the storm, he'd made his way home, taking time to call in on neighbours, comforting those who'd been hurt in the disaster. Surprised to find his own nest still intact under the fallen outer limbs, he was overjoyed to also find the gem. He thought it was a gift of the storm. Sensing it was much more than a rare polished pebble resembling a small precious egg, he duly took it to the twins to place in their care. Oh, it's such a prize. It should be yours. Please accept it as a thank you gift on everyone's part for all your kind help and tending, especially after the storm, he told them, then happily returned to his nest, unaware of the shrike lying injured and hidden a little distance away in a niche under the fallen tree trunk. The Gemini surmised that the pearl had belonged to their other neighbour, Cancer, because she collected many treasures. They suspected it might have been stolen by the Shrike, but didn't know for certain, since the mouse seemed equally clueless about how and when it came to be in his nest, and storms often bring lost or hidden things to light. They were grateful to the mouse for bringing the find to them, and were keeping it safe until such time as they could return it. Their earlier whisperings had been about forming a clever plan to now return the gem to Cancer as a surprise and how this unexpected visitor and his curious quest might assist in that endeavour. The Shrike was unaware of the mouse's transaction with the twins since it was badly injured and barely conscious at that time. With injuries now healing, it schemed to regain power over the birds and continue to cause mischief with their messages. But first it must find its precious secret. The unexpected appearance of Ares on the scene troubled it. It sends further complications to its plans. What is he about with his fancy idea of following the thon? it scowled. And what were the flighty imps babbling about? Try as it may, it couldn't decipher the language the twins spoke between themselves. No matter. It guessed something tricky was afoot. It hated the twins, was jealous of their cleverness, but had found the perfect refuge in their forest from where it had set up its base to cause as much trouble on Zodiac as it was able. It had almost succeeded until they had found its lair, but they had needed help of the collective to do that. It would have its revenge on them all, and soon. I must get more information about that one-away wham. It could pick up bits of news regarding Ares and his business on the forest grapevine, but was reluctant to leave its hiding place before finding the Black Pearl. For the time being, it must remain undetected and rely on whatever bits of gossip fell to its ears while it scoured the undergrowth, interrogating and terrifying any creatures passing nearby. It has to be here. It's gotta be here. Somebody knows something. Oi, you, fly me. Come here. But the frightened toad swiftly jumped clear of the spiteful beak. As the day drew on, the Gemini demonstrated their natural versatility in language, impressing Ares with the different tongues they spoke when communicating with their woodland friends. He noted that keeping abreast of the news and the gossip accounted for most of the time spent on their round robins. He noticed too that the trim on their tunics and caps changed colour, subtly adapting to and reflecting the predominant hues of their surroundings. He wondered if the same might happen to him in this realm. Uh, Will my fleece change colour too? 
His inquiry tickled their impish humour. Oh, yes, to a really bright puce, warned Jem in a solemn voice, secretly winking at Eni. But only when you're cross, concurred Eni. Puce? Ares recoiled at the thought. They could not be serious, could they? They led him through the pines to a sunny clearing, their favourite place in this part of the forest. Wearily he sat in the shade, complaining loudly about his throbbing headache. Stop bleating. What do you expect if you fight trees? they scolded. We'll fix your head. We can fix most things. And so saying, made a medicinal compress of mud and moss. While Eni was placing it over the sore-looking bump under the fringe of curls on Aerie's brow, Jem talked more about life in and around the forest, listing the names of trees, shrubs and plants, informing what was good to eat and what was not. They also told him more about the realms to the west where ferocious beasts stalked and the land of corn where all the birds gathered at harvest time and finally the great west mountains where the collective lived. The what? he asked at this further mention of the collective. What? answered Jem. Oh, what does it mean? Oh, what does what mean? Collective, he growled, trying not to lose patience. He couldn't risk turning puce. Do you mean, what does the word mean? Or do you mean, what are the collective? Because you know what the word means. Which what do you mean? teased Jem. And it's who are the collective, not what are. Remember that too, corrected Eni. My whatting head hurts, he groaned through gritted teeth. Ooh, uh, we better tell him what's what or he'll give us what for. They laughed, huddling together, pretending fear. Jem jumped onto a low branch and shuffled along to reach some berries while he talked. The collective are so-called because their realms are, mostly, collected together on and around the Great West Mountain Range, which is some distance beyond Virgo's cornfields. We gather all the local news and send reports on to them with the birds. Then they hold meetings they call councils to ensure that everything is well or send help if needed. That's why we sent word to them about the Shrike, so there would be a collective effort to catch it. But communicating was a slow business because of all the disruption it had caused, and that's all we can tell you. Ares had listened to as much as he could absorb, and began to eat the assortment of nuts, berries and fresh leaves that they'd provided. His head pain began to ease, although he was beginning to feel a little strange and discombobulated. Eni sat down beside him. We don't need to concern ourselves with the wider business of the collective realms. Gathering the local news is vitally important and all must be done with due attention to details, she said reassuringly. As you follow the sun, you're bound to see all for yourself in due course. I feel a bit sleepy, he smiled dreamily and drifted off. The efficacious effect of the leaves, said Jem, taking a handful to chew and passing some to Eni. The next morning, Ares felt much better and like his old self again. He discovered that Gemini's day-to-day interest lay as far as Taurus's round to the east and to the Valley of Cancer to the west. A lake of silvery water filled the valley, they told him, on the shores of which many treasures can be found. 
The valley slopes are lined with lush vegetation, they said, their mouths watering as they described in detail the delicious fruits growing there. We sometimes help ourselves to the goodies, they grinned, but admitted it is not strictly speaking within the boundaries of their realm. A cancer lives on an island in the centre of the lake, and the valley slopes are more part of her domain, really. And watch out. If she's in a touchy mood, she'll give you a tweak with her pincers. Jem demonstrated by giving Ares a playful pinch on the rump. Ouch! However, they did own up to sometimes playing pranks on her. When she's not looking, we hide small treasures she's fished out of her lake confessed Eni. It's just a game. We know she'll find them again. She always knows when something is missing and searches in the most unlikely places. Because that's where we hide them, chuckled Jem. But when we take her a gift, no matter how small, she just as quickly forgives us, said Eni, not wanting Ares to have the wrong impression of their sensitive neighbour. She is very kind and tender-hearted. The twins then offered to guide him through the forests. He asked if there were any ways he might bypass the lake they had spoken of to continue his travels from the other side. He wasn't too keen on the prospect of swimming, nor of being tweaked, and valleys sounded too much like craters. You must visit Cancer, they insisted. She would be most upset to think you didn't want to meet her, and we can't have that. No, no, absolutely not. Besides, she will need to check your head wound to make sure it's healing properly. Be sure to ask her to do this. And don't fret about the lake. We will try to fix things so that you don't have to swim. Again, they began secretly conferring. Although he couldn't understand what they were saying, he quite believed the Gemini could fix anything. How was another matter? Jem and Eni were very popular and the following days of trekking through the forest were filled with visits to their variety of friends. He came to see how important it was to know different ways of communicating and appreciated the mental stimulation he was gaining from all this variation. As his vocabulary expanded and his grammar corrected, he was learning a great deal more about his immediate environment, also to read and write a skill he'd forgotten. But while he was keen to decipher the bird messages, he knew it would take more time than he was prepared to spend to become as fluent as his hosts. For their part, the Gemini were finding Ares' visit a most interesting and exciting interlude. His enthusiasm and curiosity inspired them to show their many talents and they were finding great pleasure in sharing what they knew. But he was growing restless with their visits to friends and their lessons and wanted to press onwards, even though he was enjoying travelling alongside them. The twins' chicanery amused him and at the end of each day, come twilight, they played their music until long after the stars had risen. He sometimes sang along, but mostly listened with quiet appreciation as their sweet notes drifted over the treetops and into the night. As the days grew hotter, the nature of the forest changed again. Now there was jungle-like vegetation and long vines draped the trees. The wildlife too was more majestic and a cacophony of sound and colour greeted him as he struggled through the thickening undergrowth. The Gemini were in their element, blithely swinging through the branches above, skimming the dense vegetation below. And not far now, they called down to him, encouraging his efforts, for it was a particularly hot afternoon. Just a little further, and we can put your travel plans into action. If our scheme works, do you think she'll be pleased? Forgive us for our little prank, asked Gemavini.
referring to cancer and their scheme with the black pearl. Oh, yes, she's bound to be thrilled when she discovers it, Eni was quite confident. We would have heard more than a whisper if she had lost such a treasure. For some odd reason, she can't have noticed that the pearl is missing from her collection. She will be doubly delighted that it has been found before she realised it was gone. Trust me, Jem, she will want to know exactly how we came by it, and so will definitely invite us to tea. They adored tea with cancer. She made the prettiest tea cakes and irresistible dainties. Jem gave Eni a winning smile. Eni could be super smart sometimes. And both were exceptionally pleased with their ingenious plan, which Ares unwittingly would help them to execute. At length he came to the base of a large twisting tree which reached above the foliage of its neighbours. The Gemini were waiting for him. At time for the first part of the plan, they assured him that all would be fine as they wound a vine around his middle, leaving his limbs free. We'll hoist you through the branches to the top. It'll be a bit tricky, but if you do as we say, it should work. To say he was doubtful would be an understatement, but question them as he might about the next part of their plan, they would only tell him to wait and see. Trailing one end of the vine over the lowest branch, they began to pull. His feet lifted off the ground. Ares was beginning to feel nervous, but after a series of strenuous tugs, he was able to straddle the first branch. Treetops are not my thing, he protested, casting his mind back to the leisurely time he'd spent with Taurus. Oh, what's the point, he scolded himself, pushing memory from mind. Upwards and onwards. The Gemini climbed to the branch above and began hoisting again. In this fashion, they eventually gained the top of the tree, where they clambered into a huge nest high above the forest canopy. Ares had been bumped and bruised by the exercise and was feeling extremely grumpy by the time his companions pulled him to safety. Am I puce? he hollered. I'm feeling very puce and I want to know what's happening next. Oh, do stop harping on, reproached Jem. You'll spoil the surprise, added Eni, quickly peeling a banana and smartly popping it into his mouth, muffling further protests. He noted the large stash of fruit in the nest. I would advise you to make your approaches to Taurus in a friendly fashion before you start helping yourself to his grazing, he remarked knowingly. <laughs> of course we will, they laughed. The Gemini knew all about Taurus's sense of possession and also his love of parties. The hoisting had been hard work, and being unused to such physical labour, the twins fell into an exhausted sleep, leaving Ares to gaze over the forest landscape. He watched as the reddening sun slipped towards the horizon, the forest blushing pink and gold as the lengthening rays kissed the tops of the trees. He'd not had such a heady view since leaving the hilltop. It made everything seem worthwhile. Darkness came, and he'd just begun to snooze when the rushing sound of wing beats filled the air. The twins were instantly awake, reassuring him that all was well as a large white stork alighted on the nest as gently as a single feather. Stork and the Gemini exchanged a few words before they turned to him. Being an explorer and an adventurer, said Jem, his eyes wide with excitement. We thought you might like to try flying, they cried enthusiastically. Ares' eyes popped and his jaw dropped. 
The stork will transport you to cancer and, you'll be delighted to hear, no swimming. Cheering each other loudly, they clapped in delight at their scheme. The long, sharp beak secured a firm hold through the vine binding Aries' middle. You really fixed it, he cried, nervous yet excited as the great bird prepared to take off. Happy landings, they called after him, splitting their sides at the spectacle of the ram dangling from the stork's beak. He has been lively fun, hasn't he, said Jem. Oh, he has. He really, really has, laughed Eni. And this is such a very clever plan, it can't possibly fail. Holding his breath, the sound of beating wings was drowned by the pounding of his heart. Airborne, he was thrilled by the sensation of flight. The wind was soft and warm on his face, and his brave heart trusted his fate. Oh, if Taurus could see me now, he chuckled. Their way was lit by the rising moon, and as they climbed higher, he was able to see the subtle changes in the forest landscape below. But when he looked ahead, his heart skipped a beat. Way, way in the distance, gleaming luminous white under the light of the moon, he could just discern the snow-capped tips of the great west mountains. Ares knew that he could not, would not rest until he had reached the topmost pinnacle. was Marian Mente reading the third chapter of Follow the Sun, a chapter all about Gemini. So Marian, before I ask more about the Shrike, and I really want to hear more about the Shrike and the Black Pearl, what can you tell us about the planet Mercury? Well, Mercury is the messenger, or Hermes, as in Greek mythology, we all know the stories there. And it's the planet associated with the mind and communication, both verbal and written, and and with the nervous system, by sign, house and aspect, the placing of Mercury in one's chart will represent the nature and expression of the mentality and the capacity to be consciously aware, our mindset in short. It also signifies um, manual dexterity and the ability to use implements or tools. It's used to indicate our sense of curiosity and inquiry that reaches out for knowledge and shows the way in which we disseminate what we know. I mean, our schooling can have a profound effect on us, since not everyone is quick to learn or has interest in learning, while others find it a joy. And also some people begin to learn once formal schooling is finished. Mercury can also show our relationship to our siblings. And while it stimulates the mind, the placing of Mercury can also make us critical and argumentative, and given to nervousness, because along with Gemini... Mercury also rules Virgo. So in the first three podcasts, you've covered Mars, Venus and Mercury. And so talked quite a lot about the planets. But I really want to talk to you about the Shrike. Why did you introduce a completely new character that is not a sign of the Zodiac? Um, 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 Just tell me everything about the Shrike. Okay. Well, 
This right comes into Gemini. Gemini, as I've said, represents communication, exchanging ideas. It's the seat of understanding our neighbours. But with language and communication comes misunderstandings, disagreements, and of course, at worst, wars. I mean, as Eni gently points out to Aries, language is a powerful tool. The Shrike represents that element of chaos, of going against harmony to create discord. It misuses language. It's greedy and it wants to cause war on Zodiac for its own gain. It's introduced here because we become aware of conflicting feelings both within ourselves and with others at an early age, you know, and we learn some very valuable lessons from conflicts. All drama portrays that. And every story needs an element of drama and intrigue to pose a, a conclusion or a solution to conflict. And here the Shrike is able to hide itself in plain view while it sows seeds of destruction in the bird messages. And what better place to do it than in a forest, easily evading the twins who would have ousted it instantly. Anyway, they rightly suspect that it has thieved the mysterious black pearl which has been found in the forest. And as a bird, <clears throat> it was able to infiltrate the bird community in order to disrupt their messages, intimidating many and manipulating events to suit its agenda. Therefore, it had to be a horrible bird too. And the Shrike, you know, is a bird and it's a nickname for the butcher bird because of its serrated beak and aggressive nature. So I thought I'd use a Shrike in this instance. Um, and I, I haven't given the Shrike any gender because chaos and evil... As with the media in its myriad forms, it has no gender. Tell me about the Black Pearl and what significance does it have? Well, apart from Gemini, who rightly suppose, the, the, they don't know for sure, but they suppose it's been stolen by the Shrike. And they use Aries, as we found, to send it on because they believe it comes from one of her collections. We'll find out about cancer in the next podcast and her penchant for collecting things. Um, but as to its purpose... That's still a mystery, and that will unfold as the story unfolds. So no more can be said of it here. We will talk of it no more. Thank you, Marion. You've been listening to the third podcast in the series Follow the Sun. Look out for our next one, where Marion Mente will be taking us into the fourth sign of cancer. This is a story based on the sequence of the Zodiac, so make sure you don't miss out by subscribing through your favourite podcast provider. Follow the Sun was written by Marion Mente. The podcast was produced and presented by me, Pommy Harmer, and this was a Black Pearl production. Mm-hmm.